0: and welcome to the Mass Bar Beat, the podcast of the Massachusetts Bar Association. I'm Jason Scally, and on this episode, we'll be talking about lawyers' ethical obligations to their clients and their law firm colleagues, and how sometimes you do need to sweat the small stuff. My guest this time is attorney Dick Campbell, a fellow of the American College of Trial Lawyers, a former president of the Massachusetts Bar Association, and a founder of the firm, Campbell, Campbell, Edwards & Conroy. Dick recently introduced a new recurring column for the NBA's Lawyer's Journal newspaper called Privilege to Practice, in conjunction with Todd and Weld's Suzanne Elevecki. Dick, can you tell us what Privilege to Practice is all about?
1: Sure, Jason, uh, and thanks for inviting me to participate in this discussion. Our uh, Privilege to Practice column will be an ongoing feature in the Mass Bar Association's Lawyer's Journal. Suzanne Elevecki of Todd and Weld and I share the responsibilities to find appropriate topics and to draft the articles. The notion here is that uh, the members of the bar will find relatively short articles on ethics and professionalism useful to them as they carry out their day-to-day practices. Uh, I just suspect that many of of the practitioners find the lengthy reports by the Board of Bar Overseers and the SJC to be turgid prose and difficult reading. I know I do. And and if we can get Bar members to have in mind the principles we write about, uh, we will consider our series a success.
0: Now, professional ethics is something all lawyers should be interested in, And but as you said, it's it, it, sometimes it's, it's not easy um, to digest all the BBO's opinions, so your column's going to go a long way to help that. Now, tell me about your background. What makes you so interested in this, and why did you decide to start this column?
1: What's the old adage from Ecclesiastes uh, to everything? There's a season and a time for every purpose under heaven, something like that. (laughs) Uh, Don't worry. I'm not going to try to sing that, Jason. Uh,
0: (laughs) Suzanne and I are members
1: of the uh, Mass Bar Association's Ethics Committee, so I suppose that gives us some form of gravitas on the subject matter. But seriously, uh, I changed my status at my law firm back uh, August 31, 2015, from founding shareholder and chairman of our board to an of counsel role, and with that change, I took on the role as director of practice standards and professionalism at the firm. I also began receiving requests to consult on practice standards, including compliance with rules of professional conduct. After evaluating one matter where the primary issue was, who was the client of this lawyer? Uh, And the client, by the way, was himself a lawyer. And what were the duties and responsibilities in terms of loyalty to the client? After confronting that as sort of a seminal decision or act, I thought that the members of the bar could benefit by quick and easy reminders of the rules of the road. The bottom line, though, is I have the time, the interest, and experience to do the work, and I'm and I'm sure that Suzanne feels the same way.
0: Most lawyers, I believe, understand very well their ethical obligations to their clients. But in your first column, which appeared in the November-December issue of Lawyer's Journal, you talk about a pretty notable fall from grace that happened to a lawyer who ran afoul of his obligations to his law firm partners.
1: Yeah, that's right. His name is Larry Spikes. And uh, Mr. Spikes was a very prominent and very successful lawyer from Wichita, Kansas. Uh, His law firm is renowned for their representation of Beechcraft Corporation, the manufacturer of general aviation aircraft. Larry Spikes was one of those lawyers who could work a room and generate business for his firm. He was an active participant in state and national professional associations and very prominent in local civic affairs. Indeed, I got to know Larry Spikes through the International Association of Defense Council, where he was on the track to become the president of this uh, august group. Larry was Mr. Everything, local bar leader, country club leader, civic leader, charitable board, school committees you name it, he did it. As the bar authorities put it in their report, he was, quote, an outstanding lawyer, close quote, who had, quote, the respect of his peers, clients, and friends, close quote. At his law firm, he ultimately rose to the position of managing partner. Mr. Spikes' practice caused him to travel extensively across the nation. Um, Air travel, hotels, restaurants were part of this fellow's everyday life. But his expensive lifestyle was made even more challenging for him, as it would be for most of us, uh, with college tuitions for his kids. In the end, this high lifestyle brought him to ruination. He was disbarred.
0: What did Larry do on these trips? Was he just racking up expenses too high?
1: You know, the sad part of the story about Larry Spikes uh, is his sale of his professional soul for the cost of a family trip to Disneyland, about $12,000 over six or seven years. You know, to to many lawyers, that's walking around money. And um, we'd have to ask what right-thinking person would gamble his career and professional standing for $12,000. I don't think many would. In the overall scheme of things, the amount of money involved was small, but the pattern of financial misappropriation was persistent. And it's important to note that Mr. Spikes took funds from his clients and from his law firm. It's also important to look at how the fraud was uncovered. Let me explain. At some point, Larry Spikes envisioned a better, more financially profitable life by forming a new law firm. His former partners were unhappy with this decision, and you can understand why. They are the... Uh, once who really advanced his career, underwrote his success, put him in touch with uh, clients and served up a a long litany of great cases for him to work on. So instead of cheering him on when he announced uh, his intended departure and uh, set up a new law firm, his former partners conducted a detailed audit of his time and expenses charged to the clients and to the law firm. That audit disclosed the course of conduct that included manipulation of depositions and conferences with expert witnesses that coincided with distance weddings and vacations. Airfare, hotel rooms, and dinners were charged to clients or to the firm when the real purpose for the expenditures was personal. In some circumstances, the expenses were charged to clients or the firm even when the deposition or conference was canceled. In other instances, the expense report were just entirely fictional. That's the that's the uh essence of the problem that Larry Spikes created for himself.
0: Made up expenses is an obvious violation. Is there any gray area though when, when it comes to mixing personal and business expenses? What what's the line? How do you determine what's appropriate? I, I uh
1: I I don't believe there are any gray areas when it comes to money and property belonging to somebody else. The lawyer always has to ask the question of himself, whose money is he spending? Whose money are you really dealing with here? Uh, With respect to Larry Spikes, the hearing panel found that Mr. Spikes violated Rules 1.15B and 8.4C and G of the Kansas Rules of Professional Conduct. But the Massachusetts rules are identical. They are the exact same rules arising out of ABA model rules. So Rule 1.15B provides that uh, on the receipt of funds or other property belonging to a client or third person, the lawyer has to promptly notify that person of the receipt of that property. Another way to put it is if the lawyer comes into possession of money or property belonging to someone else, a client or any other third person that would include partners in the law firm the lawyer has an obligation to render prompt accounting and uh, and uh, deliver the money or property to the to the appropriate person rule 8.4 provides that it's professional misconduct for a lawyer to engage in conduct involving dishonesty fraud deceit or misrepresentation or to engage in any other conduct that adversely reflects on the lawyer's fitness to practice law you'll notice that the rule doesn't say anything about the quantum of dishonesty or fraud or deceit or misrepresentation. And, a- and Rule 1.15 doesn't talk about the quantum of the other person's money or property. The obligation is to act or undertake the responsibility for accounting for and delivery of the property or to avoid engaging in any kind of dishonesty, fraud, deceit, or misrepresentation.
0: So you could be just a lawyer in Massachusetts that you know doesn't Fly across the country and have a lot of hotel and restaurant expenses, but there's still lessons in the Larry Spikes story for for all Massachusetts attorneys because it's not the amount that you're doing; it's it's what you're doing.
1: That's right. It's it's not the amount that that is a an, an important aspect of Larry Spike's problem, and and the fact that the uh, average practitioner in Massachusetts is not getting on a, a, an airplane three four times a month flying to distant locations doesn't. Mean that the average practitioner in Massachusetts doesn't confront the same kind of a problem. From my perspective, the biggest problems or the biggest risks relate uh, related to a client are phony time records, phony time entries. When a when a four-hour event becomes an eight-hour event, or when the one-hour conference with an associate to review twenty different cases for twenty different clients becomes twenty hours of time charged to twenty different clients, that's that's a that's a problem, and that that uh exists whether the lawyer practices in Suffolk County practices in Massachusetts or like Larry Spike's practices all across the country. And when it comes to expenses, it's the country club dinners and cocktails, the Patriots and Red Sox games, and expenses said to be marketing when the expenses are really your living expenses. You can't you can't charge your clients or your partners for your living expenses. And if you do, you're engaging in Conduct that is dishonest, fraudulent, deceitful, and
0: constitutes misrepresentation. So even something like, like you said, Patriots tickets. You buy Seasons tickets
1: for the Patriots, and then you submit the cost of all of them or even one of them to your firm and say, this is a marketing expense. But you don't use it for marketing. You take your wife, you take your kids, you take your golfing buddy. That is an an act of fraud and deceit. And if you do it, you are exposing yourself to suspension and disbarment if the conduct is reported to the Board of Bar Overseers. And remember the context of the Larry Spikes report. The Kansas Regulatory Authority learned about this low grade fraud by Larry Spikes when his partners reported him to the Board of Bar Overseers. And Rule 8.3 of the um code of professional conduct mandates report of lawyer misconduct when another lawyer learns about it and that would include the partners and associates of the firm where the lawyer works
0: that definitely seems like an interesting situation within a law firm um, uh, it, it 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 can be a difficult
1: situation and and it's one that all lawyers have to be uh, aware of they have, uh, lawyers have to understand that um what's theirs is theirs but what is someone else's is not theirs, it's someone else's property.
0: Why would something like this happen in the first place? Is it just the financial pressure?
1: I see it as that. I I see it as an outcropping of the day-to-day pressures that lawyers are under. Let's uh, be real about this now. The practice of law is intense, it's competitive, it's very stressful. If you live in a state like Massachusetts, the cost of doing business, your, your, your uh, office expenses in the city of Boston are astronomical. And then uh, if you live in Boston or the suburbs feeding into Boston, the cost of housing is huge. A house that costs half a million dollars is sort of standard fare. And then on top of that, if you have kids going to a private college like Larry Spikes did, chuck in another $65,000 uh, a year in order to pay for those college tuitions, rooms, and board, and things like that. So in private practice, lawyers confront enormous pressures in terms of meeting business expense and personal expense. And then to drive that, they have to go out and beat the bushes for clients, which causes them to incur even greater expense. So the the boundary lines here all become easily blurred, and I think that's
0: what happened with Larry Spikes. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. So Larry Spikes, he was ultimately disbarred for this, correct? Completely. Struck yeah. from the role of lawyers.
1: One of the most prominent members of the Kansas bar was disbarred over $12,000 in fraudulent expenses.
0: And it would be the same type of penalty in Massachusetts? That's the that's oh, that so. same risk?
1: I think the uh, Supreme Judicial Court would disbar a Larry Spikes in a heartbeat. If the court would see that this taking of money and property belonging to others, meaning the client or the firm, was knowing and intentional and particularly persistent, I think the uh, Supreme Judicial Court would disbar the lawyer. I don't think our court accepts misconduct dealing with funds and property well. I I think our court tends to be very harsh when lawyers engage in that kind of fraudulent behavior.
0: You were telling me earlier about a uh, an old story from New York which is pretty telling.
1: It was a uh, uh, a report in one of the New York newspapers maybe 30 years ago and it was about a it was about a dispute over fees and expenses that found its way into uh, a public record and they and then led to a reporting in the Times or the Daily News. One of those, probably the Daily News, and it was one of the big Wall Street firms, and and the and the uh, expenses were challenged. One expense was for uh, ground transportation. Do you know what it turned out to be? A pair of new okay. shoes. So the deceit and misrepresentation there is when you you're charging a client for a personal expense, and you purposely misrecord the nature of the expense so as to deceive the client. I think if that came before the Supreme Judicial Court for a Massachusetts lawyer, the court would look at that and say, this uh, at minimum, minimum that they, they would suspend the lawyer, but they might even disbar him because it, it, it's sort of a window into the individual's soul. He's he's a thief.
0: So what's the takeaway from this story? To me it's more than just thou shall not steal.
1: Well Uh, Our privilege to practice law in the Commonwealth um, carries significant obligations to our clients and, as I've said several times, to our law firms. Dishonesty, deceit, misrepresentation regarding time and expenses, no matter how small the amounts may be, may lead to termination of our privilege to practice. Uh, And with it comes all of the adverse financial and social and family consequences that flow from uh, suspension or disbarment. To me, the takeaways are threefold. Number one, if it's not your money, don't take it or seek reimbursement of it. Number two, the amount taken is not the critical determinant when bar counsel is evaluating the facts. Bar counsel is going to look at your acts and omissions. Bar counsel is not going to look at the amount of money involved. And then the third takeaway is that the client or law firm audit will disclose the misconduct, and then the lawyers in the firm are obligated by Rule 8.3 to report that conduct to the Board of Bar Overseers. Those are the three takeaways.
0: Well, thank you, Dick. You've you've given us a lot to think about, and I know you and Suzanne Nelovecki have several other other columns coming up this year. I hope you'll come back again to talk with us more about the uh, privilege to practice.
1: Look forward to it, Jason. All the best.
0: Excellent. we look forward to reading more of your columns and hearing you on this podcast. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning into this podcast here on the Mass Bar Beat. We have a lot of great episodes coming your way. Until next time, I'm Jason Scali. Thank you.